All right, everybody, welcome back to the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. Today, it's uh, so far, it's going to be Jordan, Travis, and I'm glad to return for this one. Uh, I got a little bit of time available, so we might have Ola and Tyler uh, hopping on this one as well, but we'll see um, if they're able to make it or not. But uh, we're going to go ahead and start now, and we come back to you after today's match uh, at Leeds and Ellen Road. And wow, it was a 3-0 dismantling of Chelsea, down 2-0 by halftime. I think it was somewhere in the second half. I saw a stat that Leeds had run nine kilometers more than the Chelsea players. So there was this overall abject performance. First goal is a terrible concession, terrible mistake by the goalkeeper. I mean, a ridiculously bad mistake by the goalkeeper that leads to the goal. Second goal is just nobody defending a set piece. And then finally, the third goal is them just tearing our defense apart with combination passing, leading right up to a shot from nearly point blank range. So, it was and only not only that defensively, but offensively, it was just as abject as it was defensively. Um, we essentially had no ability to control any of the build-up play because the central area of the pitch was completely pressed out, um, which was an ex- excellent game plan uh, by Marsh and Weeds executed to perfection. Uh, we had really no ability at all in that part of the pitch. So, and offensively, not much else. So, I mean, I, I do paint a pretty negative picture here, but it was a collective failure. So. With that said, Travis, maybe you have a bit different of a read of the of the match, but collective failure is that too too harsh luck for this one? I mean, I know who I would blame mostly, but let me work my way into that one. Um, yeah, so like I thought we started well, which we started well, and I sent out a tweet. I was like, this feels like the kind of game where we look really good, and then we concede a dumb goal, and then we did that, and then we did it again, and then we did it again. And, you know, pretty much after that, like, opening 20 minutes where Leeds got, like, any kind of foothold for the first time, after that, we just had no control at all. And, you know, I can't really blame, like, well, I mean, obviously, you can blame Mindy for his mistake, but you can't really blame, like, any one player for the match as a whole because, like, it it was an awkward position for everybody. I like this, like – quasi four at the back three at the back depending on if we have the ball or not thing that we do but there's still a lot of shifting around and I think that's where we lost most control was you know Loftus Cheek has to move to a completely different spot depending on if we have the ball or not James has to do that Mount has to do that Kai Hoberts has to do that so you have all these parts moving depending on whether we have the ball or not and as they're moving that little bit of hesitation, that's where we get caught, whether we just got the ball or are just losing the ball. There was always that, like, awkwardness to it. Um, and that's that's on Tuchel, right? Like, he wants to have this super flexible formation, but, you know, we're trying to look left while trying to look right, and it doesn't really work. 
you know, if we had gone like completely three at the back or completely four at the back and not had this, this shifting, it probably would have looked a whole lot better, but it, we're just keep coming back to like players out of position. Like I saw Mason Mount get a lot of criticism today and one, I think that's a little silly because everyone's terrible. So I single him out. It's the same reason they always single him out. But like he's out of position of his natural position. Kai Hogwarts is out of position. You know, Georgina was where he was supposed to be. But when you have Gallagher and Loftus Cheek both shifting with the formation around him, Gallagher, I'm sorry, Georgina is left on an island where he's not controlling the play and he's not helping defensively. He's just a body. You have Reese James, who is one of the world's best fullbacks already, playing center back half the time. And the other half the time, he's getting forward to do his thing, but then he has to rush back when we lose possession. You have a team that's trying to send balls in behind to players to try to break the lines, but the only guy we have in the front three really capable of doing anything with that is Sterling. And you're surrounding him with Kai Havertz and Mason Mount, who have a different game than, you know, receiving the ball, a through ball behind lines. And it's just like this weird mishmash. And it got worse with the subs. Tell me what the formation was when any of the subs started, because you can't. We had four fullbacks on at one point. Like, it, it's almost like we just have no idea if our first plan doesn't work. Like, we have nothing to fall back on. And everyone just stands around scratching their head like we don't know what to do. So, you know, when it went 1-0 down, yeah, we could rally back from that. But when it went 2-0 down, no, there was nothing to fall back on. There's no reason to believe we were going to win that game because we have no no other ideas. And that's a two-pool problem. You know, what are we doing in these situations where, you know, things get hard? How are we pushing through that? And, you know, his post-match stuff was basically like, yeah, we played better, but just individual mistakes. This is a game of mistakes. You try to cause the mistakes of your opponent, and you try to prevent your own mistakes. So if we're the only team making the mistakes, why are we the ones reacting? You know, we need to be proactive and do something that changes things. And I look at, like, our transfer targets. I don't know how Bami Yang fixes this. I don't know how De Jong fixes this. I don't know how Fofana fixes this. Like, obviously, they're all good players in their own ways. But I don't know how they fix it. And, like, this is obviously one game early in the season. But, like, that was a beatdown by one of the worst teams in the Premier League ever a year ago. Like, the fact that they survived was a miracle. And we were very much the second best team throughout. That's a problem. If I can jump in. So I think this, I'm just going to hop on the fluid formation thing, Travis, because I think I pretty much agree with you on it entirely. I I am one of the people that like will watch Bayern right under Nagelsmann and say, yeah, that would be like, great. We should do that because it's, he plays a three, five, two or three, one, four, two in defense. And then they shift to attack and it almost looks like a four, two, four, once they have the ball. And like, that sounds great. And I agree. Like, that's awesome. Bayern were able to more or less screw around for half a season last year 
because their talent was just so much better than the rest of the premier or the rest of the Bundesliga that they could get that system fluid and going. Tuchel doesn't have that. Like this Chelsea squad, I think is actually really good. Um, there's obvious holes, but it's a good. They're a very talented group of players. And the problem is with that talented group of players, we don't have time to drill in a really, I mean, maybe we do, right? Maybe like that's what Bowley's telling him to do, right? Like drill this fluid formation. And if we lose games, we lose games. And like, hey, that's great. I just, I don't think that's what's happening. I think Tuchel's hoping like basically you use it against Tottenham, right? Big teams and like try to win with it or try to get a result with it. And then you can just kind of fuck around against the leads. But like leads of the Premier League. But I think leads are going to be much better this year for a few reasons. One, I think Jesse Marsh is a really, really good manager. Two, I think that Tyler Adams is not necessarily an upgrade and uh, Roca is not necessarily an upgrade on what they had. But those players are really, really good for what Marsh wants to do. And don't forget, when Marsh came in last year, Calvin Phillips was already out. Like Calvin Phillips barely played under Marsh. And this idea of like, oh, well, they lost Rafinha. Like, Rafinha was not a, right? Jesse Marsh, we saw today. He wants to do a four block two, right? Four, two, 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 two. Like that German, whatever, like eight, four billion twos. Um, but, but that's what he wants to do, a very narrow formation. Rafinha didn't fit in that. So he wasn't using it. So I think leads were better. And I think we took them for granted. Um, so I think that's one. Two, and this is a problem that I've had with the idea of a double pivot. So like Cruyff used to talk about the double pivot is kind of silly if you could have a single pivot because with a double pivot, the only areas the ball can go are horizontal, right? Like if the pivot's marked, it can only go horizontal. Uh, And that's why he always preferred a single pivot. Obviously we don't necessarily have the talent for a single pivot, but what happened today is Leeds said, okay, we're just going to mark out Jorginho. And if, Connor Gallagher and Mason Mount can progress the ball that and against our high press, then like we'll we'll take the loss. But today really showed what happens when this double pivot doesn't have Kante or Kovacic in it. Um, so I think that was a really really big problem today. And then on top of that, Travis, to your point, it's like okay, so that happens, right? We've seen this happen before. Why isn't there a oh, when Jorginho is being marked out of the game, this is what we're going to do. And I saw people on Twitter saying like, well, yeah, there's nothing you can do. Well, there is, right? Because you have another guy in the squad right now that we signed this summer that can dictate tempo just like Jorginho can. And that's Kukurea. But Kukurea was playing as this left wing back that was basically glued to the left. He was not allowed to invert at all because of how they wanted to build today, which is they basically threw all their effort on building on the left side and then tried to switch it over to the right. So Kukurea couldn't really dictate tempo because he was stuck to one side of the pitch. And it was like they had this great game plan in theory. And it didn't work because Leeds had a equally great plan. And then we just didn't know what to do. And Sterling has that offsides goal, which is great. Like, it's like, okay, that looked promising. Sterling's making good runs. And then it occurred, like, as the match went down, as we go one goal down, two goals down, Sterling's the only one making the runs. And because he's on that overcrowded left side as is, there's not much space. 
So, I, I mean, this gets other problems and we'll talk about them today, I'm sure, with like Kai Havertz, uh, namely. But just generally speaking, like, I think it was a bad tactical plan today. And I think it also highlighted some issues that this squad will have kind of developing an identity over the course of the year. But like also, Forest Through the Trees, we looked really good against Tottenham. Um, and like, it's not, it's not all bad, right? We're not Man United. Yeah, I mean, we it's not all bad that's I, I agree there um if, if we're gonna look at it too i think there are some patterns that we're already seeing this season though right the first match was pretty abject as well and we kind of got out of a, a bogey ground for us with all three points which was great we'll take that you know even though we had to have Jorginho bail us out of the pk um and we pretty much did not a whole lot else offensively to win that one uh, we'll take it. But the problem was there. We didn't have this attacking reference point. Um, against Tottenham, we looked much better. <clears throat> we still did produce a goal through a set piece through Kalu Kulabali. And there, <clears throat> I thought that defensively was more of the issue than the offense. But then today, again, we had real no offensive threat. There's no central reference point whatsoever, right? We go wide and then nothing happens because there's nobody good enough to handle the central area. And this is me talking about Kai Hoberts. I think it's time to actually discuss whether or not this guy belongs. Um, I think a lot of people are ready to say this season is a make or break one for him, but here's the stats, 12 goals and 58 premier league appearances. And I can understand that he maybe doesn't have uh, his preferred position, but I, I would simply then turn around and say, what is his best position? Because I've watched now this is coming on year three of him. And I don't know what the hell his best position is supposed to be. So why in the hell do we continue to persist with a guy up top that offers no presence at all? None. When I watch his match today, and I'm not trying to single out one player, I can single out many players today, but this is one that I'm seeing a trend for, and it's not just today, and that's why I bring it up, because there is a trend, and if we're going to persist long-term with him, knowing this trend, then I don't see the purpose in that, and I don't see why any manager would want that, and I think it's going to be continual problems. He doesn't create for his wingers. He can't play the false nine role in terms of being a creator. He's not a finisher. He doesn't finish chances. He misses over 70% of his big chances. He only has a goal rate of 20% in the in terms of his goals per appearance. It's about 20%, so one in five appearances. I mean, we paid 80 million pounds for this guy. He's one of our biggest signings ever. And what, what are we doing with this? That's where I can't understand. I think that we're limiting ourselves so much. And you have people like Raheem Sterling. The guy has gotten six shots. I think six shots in, in three games. And I think we've created one big chance for him in three matches. We don't create for anybody. And and that's what I'm getting more at, too, is we have this creation problem, right? Raheem Sterling didn't have this kind of statistical profile at Man City. He was having a lot more higher volume of shots because he's having a higher volume of chances created. We don't get that. As Additionally, we just don't have somebody that, as our central reference point, he doesn't do anything in the air. How many times do we throw a ball up in the box and Havertz is there or doesn't do anything? Or most of the times he's not even in the box. All of this to say, when you have this false sign who plays like this, that doesn't score goals, that doesn't create chances, that doesn't really link play, and his most notable attribute is just running and pressing, I just don't think this is going to get better. I don't think it's going to get better. Um, we can, we cannot, and I, I don't think we can continue to look at this and say the attack isn't the issue. I think it is. Uh, I think dating back to last season, it is. And I think that Spurs is going to become more of an anomaly right now, uh, given the three matches we've seen. It's not much. I'm first one to say that it's not a big sample size, but I think that's where my concern is uh, from the first three matches. And I think today was a good culmination of 
you know, we didn't have an attack, but we also didn't have everything else that fell behind it. Um, and, you know, Kai was terrible today, but everybody was terrible today. Every single player was. I could go through down the list pretty much and make a bad uh, case for everybody today. I won't do that to save time, but just to say that it's not me singling him out. But I'm singling him out because it's a long-term trend. Do you think that this is maybe too much being made of this? Or do you think this is a trend worth noting? Yeah. So my thing about Kai Havertz, and I've said this from more or less day one when we started playing him as a striker. A false nine, like the definition of a false nine, right, is a 10 that plays in striker areas. Now, what that 10 does can differ, right? So like a messy type false nine is going to be like that kind of like creative guy who's just like playing like as a striker. He comes back, gets the ball, creates. You could also have a false nine type striker that plays more like a shadow striker, right? Somebody that makes really late striker runs into the box. Um, so that's like what Obama Yang does, right? Like it, he did it under Tugel Dortmund and he did it for Arsenal. Like he's not like a normal, like flat shoulder of the defense striker. He kind of like, he'll do that, but in possession, he waits to get in the box and then he'll just make like a darting run in the box. What Kai doesn't, Kai doesn't do either of those, right? Like Kai doesn't um, it, like create whatsoever, right? He does press and like he kind of does like a little bit of like hold up, but he does he doesn't create and he does not make runs into the box. So at some point, it's like this guy isn't making striker runs and he's not creating. This isn't a false nine. This is you are just playing with three tens, right? And the problem I'm also having with those three tens is the only one really doing any of these runs is Raheem Sterling. And we saw Tottenham do it and we saw Leeds do it today. Man Mark Sterling leads Man Mark two players the entire match, Sterling and Jorginho. They marked him out of the game. And if Sterling is the only one making runs, like I don't know what Kai's doing. So, like, I thought when we were bringing Polisic and Ziak on, the plan was going to be to bring Kai out and then have Polisic actually making striker runs, like kind of later runs as the fall sign, which was a role he actually did really well last year, like when he was able to play it. The guy doesn't do that. And for some reason, there's this desire to persist with this guy. Like, I fully, I, I don't think it's this idea of a two-goal striker is this big of a mystery. Like, people are like, oh, well, if he didn't work with Lukaku and didn't work with Havertz, what is a two-goal striker? Well, like, Ivan Tony, right? Ola and I got in a debate with a bunch of people about this two nights ago. Like, Ivan Tony is not a spectacular striker. I don't think in any world Ivan Tony ever becomes a world-class striker. I just don't think it's there. But Ivan Tony is a perfect type of two-goal striker, right? He is primarily going to hold up and then create from central positions. Um, he's not going to score a ton of goals, but that's not what, like, you necessarily need him to do if you have a guy like Sterling making those diagonal runs in the box. Aubameyang did more of the running, but Aubameyang, right, like, he was, a, especially at Dortmund, did a lot of the hold-up stuff, right, and made those very late runs into the box. Uh, he was not as creative as like an Ivan Tony is, but I, I, I just, I, I don't understand like what the end game is with Kai Havertz. Like, I don't know what it is, right? Is it because under Lampard, we saw him on both wings and in the midfield and he sucked everywhere. Under Tuchel, we've seen him as a shadow striker where he's been pretty underwhelming. And then as like a deep forward where some people think he's been great. I think he's also been pretty underwhelming there. At some point, like, you just have to wonder, like, is this a guy that needs uh, 
too much like too much time on the ball for the Premier League. And I think part of that's Tuchel's problem, right? I think Tuchel's system is slow enough that defenses can get set, which does get rid of space to run into. But I think, like, with Kai, at least specifically, it's not fair just to blame this on Tuchel. Like, I think this is a pretty big problem, and I think it's been a pretty big problem, more or less, since we signed the guy. My uh, moment of Kai Havertz's game today was when Ziyech took the shot, and it was on target, and Kai blocked it and then collapsed because it hit his tummy and he wasn't going to fight for that ball anymore. Like, it, I, I'm just over Kai Hoverts. I, I have to be honest. Like, I, there's talent there, but we're never going to see it for Chelsea, and I'm not going to pretend we're going to. He He's out of position, first of all, and he's being put in roles that he's not suited for. But also, I just kind of think, like, he's the kind of player that, you know, if he were to go to, like, a Juventus, or even if he was to go back to Bundesliga, he would look good again. It's not going to happen in the Premier League. Like, yeah, he doesn't have that time on the ball he needs. He doesn't have the freedom of being the guy and then the rest of the team being able to cover for him as he does whatever he wants to do. That's not going to exist for him here. And like, like we we absolutely need to try something. Like, I, I'm I love that Tuchel has tried Mount Kai Havertz and Serling together as much as he has because it's already breaking his norm of rotating constantly up in the front three. But you know, play the guys that are giving you something to work with, and I, Kai's not doing that. He's just not. You know, and there's like this huge uproar about Pulisic all the time. But, you know, if we had Pulisic and Sterling on together and, you know, Mount either under them or even between them, like it probably looks a whole lot better. Um, You know, Ziyech, for whatever reason, Tuchel doesn't like him. But, you know, he brought him on today, even though, you know, he's supposedly in Amsterdam right now trying to get a move going. And it's just, you know, it's just very awkward. Like, if we were to sign Aubameyang, I think most people understand that Kai Havertz is the guy that's going to drop. I don't think that's really a secret. So what is it that we're persisting with now in the meantime that is, you know, worth what we're doing? And, you know, I don't see it. I haven't seen it in any of the games this season or in preseason. Like, what what is it about Kai that we're see, not seeing that Tuchel is seeing? And I don't think there's a clear answer to that other than it just likes him. I think also Tuchel tends to, like, the thing about Pulisic, right? Like, I don't think Pulisic is ever going to be like this, like, Eden Hazard-level world-class attacker. Like, it's just, it's not there, right? Which is fine. I think Pulisic, every time he plays more than like 15 minutes in a match for us does something good right he may not have a good game but he does something good he makes a good run he presses like there's always a moment if Pulisic plays for 20 minutes or more where you're like oh he did that one thing well now the other part of it may have been he gave the ball up six times but you at least can point to he did the one thing pretty well and Ziak, like it's kind of the same idea Ziak, you like Ziak shot today was the best chance we had all match Right? Like, 
these guys at least are doing something. Kai does, like, even against Tottenham, Kai, the most he was doing was pressing. And, like, all of our attackers at this point, because we got rid of Lukaku, every one of our attackers, whether it's Callum Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic, Kai, Sterling, Mount, whoever, they, they all press. Yeah. They, they all press. So that isn't, like, I don't know what, I don't know if this is, like, Tuchel trying to prove a point. I, I, I don't know what it is, but, like, his, I do think Pulisic especially is going to be a guy that he will go and he will look really good. Again, not world class, but he will look really good wherever he goes. Kind of like a Wilfred Zaha type thing. Like, where he'll be a really good player. And then everybody's going to be like, oh, why didn't it work at Chelsea? And, like, again, I am not saying they can't sack Tuchel. I think Tuchel's the best we're going to find, at least for a pretty long time. It's like, I'm all for keeping Tuchel. But, like, Tuchel has some weird relationship thing with Pulisic and just doesn't trust him. Same with Ziyech, right? He just doesn't trust him. And at some point, it's like, I get, like, you want control. But those two weren't playing, and we had no control of the match. We're not losing control because of those two. We weren't losing it because of Werner either. Like, I just, I don't understand. Like, I think, Travis, you're right. It's good that Tuchel is, like, trying to give this front three time together. It just doesn't work. You you don't have anybody making striker runs. You don't have, like, Mount, everybody's like, oh, Mount isn't creating from open play. Well, there's only one guy making striker runs for Mount to create to. Like, who, who what invisible player is Mount supposed to create for? Because if Reese James is going to be the other guy, guess what? Like, that is, again, you can mark him out. Like, it, it, we just don't, I, I don't under, like, I get Mount was not great today, but Mount not creating today was not the problem because there was one guy trying to make striker runs and he was marked out of the game. Yeah, I think you make an interesting point there because we don't make striker runs with this front three. Yet when we did have a guy that made striker runs, we didn't ever play the ball to the guy making the striker runs. So it's like when we got when we do have the right runs, we're not we don't have the right creation. And when we have the right creation, we have the wrong runs, if that makes sense. Like today, I think like, like you saw against Spurs that we could create chances. Right? We could we can make that happen. But uh, then you see today it doesn't happen and there's really no movement whatsoever. So it's very interesting to see that. I mean, it's almost like we're, I mean, the, the, pointing towards, I guess, at this point, systemic issues of chance creation, right? Whether that's player driven or system driven, it's hard at this point not to say it's system driven. Uh, given what we're seeing, right? We just don't have the, and what I mean by that is we don't necessarily have the right people for this system. So that becomes a philosophical question, whether we change the system to the players or we bend the players for the system, right? I think that that's what that question becomes. Um, But yeah, I think that's a good point there is that, and if we're not going to make runs and we continue to persist with a front three that doesn't make those striker runs, does that beg the question that Tuchel doesn't want forwards making those striker runs? I mean, considering that we just like sold off Lukaku after one year, and Werner, like Werner, yeah, exactly. Werner made those runs, rid of, but he was making those runs like he was all the time. Yeah, he didn't like. I I remember Tuchel was getting pissed at him running on the counterattack because Werner didn't make like like very creative runs. It was like pretty straight liney, Mm -hmm. but like they were straight diagonal runs into the box, and like 
for all the issues with Werner, when he had the ability to do that, he was at least missing chances. But, like, there's chances there. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I mean, now it just seems like today was – I mean, I felt like we could have played forever and probably not scored as well as just continue to, you know, concede goals. You know, so with – I don't know. Like, looking ahead, we, we today was a really bad match. I mean, that's all there is to it. It was a collective failure. I know we spent a lot of time talking about the Kai Havertz, the kind of front three situation. I think it's worth talking about because it's a continual issue. I mean, if you can probably go back 30 episodes and we're talking about this same topic – so if we're talking about it this long with the same managerial system, the same players for that system, except for Sterling, doesn't that point to, I think that's why it's worth bringing up because it just, it's so obvious that there's a problem there. It's so, so obvious. So maybe we can get a bombing in and I think it's the best we can do is it'll be a stopgap option for the rest of the season. Then maybe next year we address the long-term future of that position by also moving Kai Havertz off, assuming that things continue the way that they have this season. So I think that's why I like spending a little more time on that topic is because we literally have had this discussion so many times, but to transition it again, just, you know, I will say that we had a terrible collective performance. This isn't us just going on a rant against Hobbards. This is going on a, you know, 30 episode summary here of what we continually have talked about. Um, but I think there, I'll, I mean, I'll ask how concerned are you for the rest of the season? Cause we had kind of a negative preseason Manager, managers saying negative things in the preseason after just absolute beatdowns in the final, you know, preseason warm up that we had, um, or as far as the tour goes in North America, I should say. Um, but anyway, my point stands. The last time we kind of saw this similar behavior, you know, manager not really getting the players that they want. Um, although Tuchel is, he has only gotten functionally the players he's brought in this this summer, and that's it for his entire time here. And we're still being used uh, or still being forced to use a lot of players that don't quite fit his system. Um, and we've even seen that with his comments saying that the reason the attack is bad in this match, because it's the same players that it's always been comments like that. So are you concerned about this long-term? I mean, we've now seen him get red carded and I mean, it just seems that this season is feeling a little different. What, what are you reading this situation like in a you know more broad sense from managerial uh, position and, you know, where he's at, where is he going? So I, I wasn't on the last pod to talk about how childish I thought Tuchel got by the end of that Spurs match. Like, he wasn't angry at Antonio Conte. But it became this whole thing, like, Conte didn't look him in the eye. So, like, he yanked his arm, and then, like, what did you expect was going to happen? And, like, it's, it's it's annoying to me to see how many Chelsea fans immediately were like, Conte's the worst person ever when Tuchel started all of that. And, like, it was just incredibly childish. And it's the kind of thing you do when you're getting more moral victories than actual victories. Um. And, like, we have new owners who are clearly backing Tuchel, but that's that's a double-edged sword because they're spending this much money. They're not spending this much money for us to barely make top four. They're not spending this much money for us not to make top four. And, you know, Tuchel's the guy picking these targets, and, like, individually, these are good players. Like, every signing we've seen, has given us enough good moments to, you know, feel good about it. But, you know, there is going to come a point where everything has to come together. And like I mentioned earlier, I don't see how the signings we are looking at but haven't made yet 
what problems they really fix. And obviously it's early in the season. We shouldn't get too like carried away, but you know, if these three games that we've had so far are the tale of our season, when we get to that world cup break, I think a decision is going to be made because that world cup break is a very natural break off point for, you know, just a number of things. And, you know, like in other leagues where we see that long winter break, that's usually when managers are fired and new ones are brought in because they basically get a second preseason. And, you know, as much as we need to stick with someone, if we get into the World Cup time period and we are not in a good place, we are not comfortably top four or, you know, look pretty strong for a top four push, if the mood is sour, like it got towards the end of Tuchel's time at Dortmund or PSG, I think new owners are going to do what new owners pretty much always do and bring in their own guy. I have no idea who that new guy will be. And, you know, that World Cup is going to open up a few new spots. Like, new people will become available. But, like, that's just the reality of it right now. Like, we cannot play to draw spurs like we did. We cannot play and lose to a team like Leeds like we did with as much money as we've put into this already and as much money as we're looking to put into this and just, you know, say, well, it's a project. We got to bide our time. That's not going to fly come, you know, November if we're sitting in like seventh or if we're just, you know, in just a terrible mental place. Um, And yeah, I don't know who would come next. And I don't know. I don't think we even should fire Tuchel. Like, I think we do need to just like weather this storm that we're currently in, because I think it'll come to an end eventually. But I don't think the owners are going to give them that kind of time if it comes to it, because new owners don't. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think it is. So if we do sack Tuchel, my hope is we go after somebody that has similar philosophical tenets where the players we just signed will fit so like i don't think we we will get him but like a graham potter to me would be a perfect like if they're gonna fire two goal i would much rather graham potter than mauricio pochettino because pochettino would have fucking sorry would have fucking loved lukaku and Werner, right like those are pochettino guys right so at least with the graham potter right like kind of a similar it's not just the three back but like Similar idea, he likes to be very patient, building from the back, and then kind of like more about controlling a match versus like just scoring a bunch. So I but I don't think you should fire Tuchel. I think the problem is Tuchel seems to me to persist with players that are not working in roles that that they don't fit, right? Like I think a guy like Connor Gallagher today was like, he didn't play great. Like nobody did. I even thought when he was in the pivot, he was fine. Like I thought that the whole, he was doing kind of the Conte thing much better than I thought he was going to be able to do. Uh, at least in terms of like destroying play, uh, he made a few really nice passes. Like I, I, I would actually like to see that same midfield too, starting against, I think Leicester's our next opponents, Leicester Southampton. I would like to see that exact same midfield pivot because like, I think Gallagher has good stuff, but I, I just, my, I am not concerned over, well, it depends what the definition of concerned is, right? 
I think Chelsea will get top four, top five this year, fairly, fairly easily. And I think it'll be top four. But I think we will probably, in one of the three cup competitions we're in, we'll probably go pretty far in one of them. Like, I think it'll be a fine season. I'm not, we always struggle against teams that press really high that aren't Liverpool because when we play Liverpool, we actually play like a very defensive system. Uh, and we don't against teams like Leeds. So, like, I, I'm not surprised that Leeds gave us the trouble they did today. I am more concerned about what is the route to this team challenging City, like, in the long term. Right? Sterling is a world-class player. And, uh, frankly, I think Kukure is, too. I think these are two world-class players. Sterling turns 28 this year. Kukure turns 25. Like, you don't have that long with those guys at the top of their match like you have longer with Gugrea, but like sterling we're talking what three more years so can we find a way to compete with city at least within four right so like sterling serves as the base and then we somehow find somebody to replace that guy as he starts aging because I, that i don't i don't know i don't know how that happens and that's where my concern lies my concern is not as much about this season it's more about long term it's not even a too cool concern it's a we have we have a Frankenstein roster. The Frankenstein roster is not going to get any different, right? Like, uh, who do you build around on this roster? I think the answer is Reese James, and then to a lesser extent, Mason Mount. Um, okay. So you have a, what maybe the best right fullback in the world, at least up there, and a really, really good kind of midfield connector type player. Those are two great pieces. They're not two, like, pieces that are easy to build around, right? Like, people talk about, oh, well, Liverpool did it with Trent. No, they didn't. Liverpool had a killer roster, and then Trent came through the academy and was dynamite right away. But they didn't build around Trent, right? Trent came in and, like, took them to a new level. And we just, I don't think we have that guy, right? Like, I love Mason Mount. Mason Mount is not Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard was obviously that guy, but that's just not, it, it never will be Mason Mount's game. I think Mason Mount has some of that, and I think he's great in w- ways that Lampard wasn't. Um, like, his pressing, I think Mason Mount is a better presser than Frank Lampard ever was, because I think Mason Mount has a very good knowledge of space. Uh, and I, Lampard did too, and Lampard just didn't play under managers that asked him to do it. But But point being, I just don't, we don't have that like guy in the midfield that is like a build around guy, right? We don't have that striker that's like, okay, we got the striker for a de- like a Harry Kane. And I just don't know how we find that guy. And that's my bigger concern. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if Tuchel will get sacked this year. Um, I, I mean, we'll see how it goes. It's just so early and it's just been negative to start. I think that's why it's like, uh, probably going to be very overstated within the fan base for a while. Um, I, I mean, it's good that we're broaching the subject and kind of considering it. I think it's worth considering because we don't know what's going to happen. The only thing that we know over the last 20 years of the previous ownership was that as soon as the results go south, we protect the players and we sacrifice the manager. And we bring somebody else in that's going to soothe the egos, help man management, and then eventually face the same issues once they really try to get their tactical philosophies going. Um, or the Or we have kind of a scenario where the manager doesn't change tactical philosophies, the players just don't really buy in and the results suffer and it all just kind of fizzles out and it ultimately ends with the manager gone. So we don't know if that's the same dynamics going to happen, but there's really no reason to believe it won't. Almost in every management situation, most managers are not staying for a long, long time. 
But if you do look at the best managers in the Premier League now, the ones that are building the most success over the most uh, over the last five to six years are the ones that are remaining in their position for a long time. So we're going to have to decide maybe much sooner than we would have liked for new ownership. What is going to be the philosophy of the club moving forward? Are we going to get rid of managers uh, when it doesn't work? Or are we going to stick by them and continue to invest and then really reach a point after several years where we admit this maybe isn't working and make a change? I think that remains to be seen. And with the World Cup this winter, if the results are bad, and let's say we're seventh or eighth place, I think that's going to be a very interesting situation for Todd Bully and company. You know, that's going to be a case where if they made a change, I think it'd be much easier for fans to stomach it because they're not going to see the, the team for a while. Uh, and they could bring somebody else in and work with who's actually going to be there and not at the World Cup and maybe be a little bit ready for when, when we resume. Um, so I, I just think that's going to be the interesting component to this, uh, where where things go. Granted, I don't think that we're going to get there, especially if we get a couple more of these transfers. But if we get to the end of the month and we start September 1st, and we have the same exact squad the way it is right now, then I think I maybe have a little more concerns because the front three is not working. We don't have a creative attacking outlet in the front three. We ha- we need another center midfielder because Kovacic and Conte are hurt very often. And we see what happens now when those two are not there. Um, I think Connor's got some ways to go uh, to still be able to lock down that role. Um, and I think that, you know, Ruben today showed maybe why he sh- should not be played at right wing back over Reese James. And we need to just get somebody else into that center back role. Maybe that's Cucurella and then move Chile out wide. I don't know, but it's going to be an interesting dynamic, you know, going forward. Um, you know, with that said, um, I don't think he's going to go. I think we'll still persist and the results will get better and we will get more where we need to be. Uh, as the season progresses. Um, but, you know, looking ahead next, we play a very bad team um, next, which is Leicester City, who uh, if I think have no points to the Premier League season so far. Um, if they, maybe they have a point from their first match, something like that. Leicester have been poor, regardless of the points. Total. They've been very poor. And we're going to be playing them at home. Um, potentially we have Fofana wrapped up by then, but this saga just keeps dragging out. He's not even playing for them. I don't know what's going on there. Um, but anyway, we're going to play Leicester, who another bad team, and they're going to be catching us at the right time. Uh, do you, I mean, first off, kind of what do you think about going into the next match? Do you expect any differences from the tactical setup? Do you expect any differences in the 11? Um, and, you know, or do you think we're going to try to change how we've been playing to some degree, to some degree, not changing the system or anything like that, but maybe changing personnel and then that slightly changes roles. I'll, I'll, let, I'll open that question up first and we can kind of use that as the preview for next week. So when we lost to Arsenal, well, let me back up. In the buildup to the Arsenal preseason game, we've been kind of like flirting with this four at the back. But then after that loss, we, we like went straight back to like a hardcore three, four, three again. And it wasn't until this Spurs match last week that we really broke back away from that. So, you know, I kind of think this scares Tuchel a little bit into reverting to a more normal 3-4-3 with, you know, like James back at wing back and I would assume Osby at center back. But, you know, then we're down Koulibaly because of his red card. So, I, honestly, I don't think the system is going to matter much. It's going to be the mentality of Lesher is really bad right now. And they were kind of bad at the end of last season too. And maybe Brendan Rodgers has kind of run his course. But we need to have that bounce back from this week. 
And if we don't show that like right away, if we don't, you know, come out and make Leicester feel like the team that's in poor form right now, we're going to become the team in poor form. And it's, it's just going to snowball against us like it did against Leeds. And I think that's the concern, you know, and we still have players leaving. We still have players coming in. So that's a whole other side of it, of this squad isn't settled. And, you know, like I said, ZH came on, but now he's supposedly in Amsterdam trying to make a move to Ajax. And so, you know, one day you might have your teammate there and the next they're gone. And maybe that's your best friend in the team. And now it's very weird. And it, it's it's just a really weird place for us to be in right now. Like, I feel like we shouldn't be struggling this much because of inside factors, outside factors, on the pitch, off the pitch, whatever. But we are. And the easiest way to move past, like, the malaise of losing to Leeds as badly as we did is beat Leicester City convincingly. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I – right, so – Ola and I talked about this last week with Wesley Fafana because I think this is important for the Leicester preview. Oh, actually not because he's currently on their in their squad or on their team, but like more that, right, if Chelsea are about to dump 80 million on a 21-year-old center back, that center back, it could be whoever. It could be Jesus reincarnated as a center back. A 21-year-old center back is going to make mistakes. They just are. That is what center backs do. It's a age group that does not mature until much later. Like they hit their prime. Like I think the average minimum age is about 27, which is incredibly like much older than any other position. Um, so, right. And, and, but I think like Fofana solves a lot of problems, right? He's tall. He can be good in the air on like, literally we have not one player on the roster that's good in the air right now. We had only one last year, right? Ola came on like every week on this podcast and said, we have nobody good in there. We have nobody good in there. We have nobody good in there. And then Rudiger left. And now we really have nobody good in the air, right? Like, so I, I mean, I have been more or less watching because I've been sick the last few weeks. I've been more or less watching every Premier League match or at least like the extended highlights. Leicester are better than their record um, is all I'll say. And Leicester are going to target our height over and over and over again. Like, they're going to – they shoot long shots. They did it today. That's how they scored today. Right? They're going to shoot long shots. They're going to do kind of these deep crosses for headers. I think we should be able to win. I am worried again, and I, I know it's annoying because I do it all the time, but, like, I think the impact of Rudiger's personality not being in this dressing room is very possibly more than what people would want to give it credit for because it's not measurable, right? Um, but, I mean, I remember back to the Juventus match, right? We looked terrible against Juventus, and I think the match after that was Leicester. And Rudiger just balled out. I think he scored a goal in that match. Like he And Conte was in that, played great in that match, too. Those two guys aren't playing next week. And, like, I don't know. Maybe it's Sterling. Like, maybe Sterling's the guy that says, like, guys, like, bad loss. Let's move on and, like, we'll work on stuff in practice. But I don't know, right? Like, if ZX's gone, 
And I think Pulisic wants leave maybe more than Ziyech does because Pulisic's like, I need to be a star player for the United States because that's Pulisic's thing. Like, it's not that he doesn't love Chelsea. Every time he scores a goal, he kisses the badge. Like, I'm pretty sure Pulisic loves Chelsea. It's, he needs to be a star for the U.S. men's national team. And to do that, he needs to be playing star minutes. So if those two guys are gone, your front three is the exact same as it was this week. Right? Because who else is it going to be? And then your midfield, right? If Conte and Kovacic are still hurt, like, hate to break it to you, it's probably going to be the same exact midfield too. So then you're talking center backs. Well, you don't have Koulibaly, right? So Kukre is probably playing left center back. And Aspie is probably going to play right center back unless he plays Reese there. In which case, your right wing back is probably Ruben Loftus-Cheek again. So if we're talking about it as a system going to change much, no. I think the system is going to be the exact same as it was this week. It's And they're going to Leicester play with a double pivot. So this system, I think, will work better than it did today because uh, we'll be able to outman the midfield. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think it's not about – I think Travis is – to Travis's point, it's not about the system. I don't even know, like, if it's about the – like, we don't have a deep squad. It's, like, actually bizarre because we have a lot of people on it, but a lot of these people are never going to play. Like, I want – Ethan Ambadu is a best player in preseason. I have no idea why Ethan Ampadu is not starting at center back next weekend, but I guarantee you he won't be. So I just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, long-term, I'm not worried. I think this is, will be fine this year. But short-term, I think we may have a few rough results. I think Leicester's probably a draw. Yeah, I think, I mean, Leicester's going to be a tougher match, people realize. I mean, they always play us really tough. That's one thing about them. Um, I think... And you make a good point with, you know, Kulabali out. I mean, we're going to have to persist. We're probably not going to have Conte and Kovacic fit. So there's, you know, basically by default, the same midfields. The system probably won't change. I don't think it's going to change. Um, the only thing I think it could possibly change is that we decide to just play a back four. Um, and just if that's the only way the system is going to change, if we just move to the back four, but I don't think we're going to do that, especially with Cool Bali not playing. That's basically like glorified suicide if we do that. Um, they're going to score on us if we play that kind of formation. So for the life of me, I can't see this being the time for that um, at all. So it's going to be a lot more of the same. And I, I agree with you, Jordan. I think the short term is not going to be as rosy as we think it might uh, be or hope it might be. But, I mean, I think that Leicester, given where they are and the fact that we get back home, maybe we can overturn this and play better. I, I got to have some optimism, I think. And I think that we will get a win against Leicester. But I think it's going to be another labored performance. I don't think it's going to be anything spectacular. Um, maybe we get a 1-0 win. It's I just, you know, I just don't see where we're going to have these creative outlets as long as, I mean, maybe Broya's fit. And if that's if he's fit, I, I'm dropping Kai immediately and to play Broya up front. At least get somebody that'll offer striker runs, which maybe opens up indirectly opens up space for somebody like Raheem Sterling to get some goals. But something has to change. I think that's the only major change I really anticipate is that Kai Howards has dropped and Armando Broja or Broya gets in uh, and makes runs that open up space for others that Kai Havertz won't do it. Maybe Broya doesn't press as much, but at this point I have to ask, is it more important for us to press from the center forward position or is it going to be more important for a center forward to do offensive things at this point? Because we're not scoring enough goals. So I think we have to have that guy doing more offensive traits and Broya ticks those boxes. Maybe a, at least, okay, let me say this. I don't know if Broyab ticks those boxes enough compared to Kai Havertz, 
but I know that Kai Havertz doesn't do it. I'm yet to see Brilliant tell me that he can't do it. So maybe that's why I'm ready to give him a chance in this upcoming match. Yeah, like I just said in the chat, but Broya is not the same type of presser. Like Kai, like to Kai's credit, like he is a really he presses really hard all game long. Like said, Broya is not going to do that. But Broya is also not Lukaku or Ronaldo, who are two guys that just like refuse to press. Right, Broya is going to press. It just it may be little like haphazard. But the best comparison I saw last year from a Southampton fan, I like Southampton analytics or something on Twitter is they said he's like Diego Costa, um, which was interesting to me. And then if you watch him, it, there is an element of that. He's not nearly as refined as Costa was for us, but there is an element of just like this guy that makes runs and ends up in the right position. So, yeah, I mean, I would be fine with Broya playing. Like I, do I think he's going to be a world class player? No, not a chance. But like, I think he's he's fine. He'll be good. He could be a good player. Like, I would start Pulisic if if we could. But he's I, my gut is he is sold by next weekend. Um, maybe it's Obama Yang or Ivan Tony or whoever the flavor of the week attacker is for us. But I, my gut is it's the exact same starting eleven. Maybe well not exact, right? I think it'll be Chilwell will be in there and Koulibaly will not be. Um, but otherwise, I think it's the same. Do you have any comments for next week, Travis? Uh, none that I haven't already made. I mean, yeah, it's just we have to go beat them. Like, if we lose, it's just going to make this storm even worse. So let's let's not even try to weather that. Let's just get out of it. I mean, I, listen, guys. I think Chelsea Twitter is normally very calm, saying saying like even-handed play so i don't know what you're talking about the storm nobody's overreacting or anything on chelsea twitter right now yeah I, I actually haven't even been on the timeline like at all today i just i've been in some chats and talked to people but yeah i have completely avoided the timeline probably for good reason i think um but you know it's gonna be interesting to see what we do against lester i, I really do think we will have a more positive tone on this uh after next weekend probably a little bit more positive will happen i do think that we're gonna win um i think we'll respond and similar to how we did against Everton, but here's a, I, I just want to see if we respond by playing a couple of different players in the same system. That's what I'm going to look for. And if we see that, then I think it's evidence to, you know, maybe suggest that's what we're going to do going forward for good reason. We'll also see where we are at the end of this month. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, overall guys, I think we did a good job summarizing uh, the long-term issues uh, that's going on in the squad, not just the season, but dating back to last season kind of the collective failure today and no single player out there was good enough today. That's all there is to it. I don't want to, I, if somebody sends me a, you know, who scored rating to suggest this player was good today, I'm just going to, okay. Like it's a collective failure. If you're going to try to use match ratings to pick out who's good and who's not, I think it's a terrible thing because you're in the relativity of awful at that point. So um, I, I just, you know, nothing about it was good. Everybody was poor. There was it was abject. It was listless. It was nobody. Abs- there was no intensity to how they were playing. What I mean by that is the combinations, the quickness in the attack of how the build up play was the set. The tempo was being built. None of it was there. We didn't control the match. We had Jorginho totally pressed out. Um, so it just was collectively nowhere near good enough. And I hope that collectively every individual decides to raise their standard for the next match because the standard today was unacceptable. Um, it was one of the worst defeats we've had from a collective standpoint and that I can remember in quite some time. 
I thought that we stood no chance at all to a team that, quite frankly, has a much lower talent ceiling than we do. With that said, Leicester coming at the right time, results are not there for them. And I think that we can maybe kick them a bit while they're down. We'll see. But thanks again, guys, for coming on. Uh, Thanks for everybody listening. Um, Until then, keep the blue flag flying high.